Hello, Bethel fandom. Welcome to the Keep Singing Podcast, Rambling Dead edition. Yes, it's back. God, I don't even know how long it's been, but it's back. I, I just, I've really wanted to, to keep going. I've wanted to keep going with this since I stopped doing it. Um, among other things, one of the reasons why I'm back is I finally, I think I've mentioned this before, uh, is I finally finished my PhD. In fact, I finally paid the university uh, what I owe them. So I've closed that whole account out. I am now officially done except for how I don't have the degree in my physical hand right now. But yeah, I'm done. I'm working on some new projects. I'm getting my life together. I'm kind of figuring out what it's like without this psychic weight over my head, which, I mean, the thing about a project as big as a dissertation is that even when you're not working on it, technically at that moment, you are working on it in the sense that it is occupying your brain and taking up your energy. Uh, so yeah, I'm starting to get a sense of what Sunny is like without doing this all the time. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm your host, Sunny, also known as Dynamic Symmetry on, uh, well, not Tumblr anymore. I mean, I'm my account's still open, but I'm not really using it because fuck Tumblr. But I'm on Pillowfort and Twitter. I'm probably most active on Twitter under Dynamic Symmetry and, you know, other places. So hi. Um, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, you, I don't know, you might want to go back and listen to previous Rambling Dead things, episodes, but... Um, also, it's been so long since I've done it that I kind of don't remember what the running thread of conversation through that whole thing was. This is almost like starting fresh. So I may repeat things that I said in the past. Uh, whatever, just fucking deal with it. Uh, also, again, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. Check out the back catalog. I think that I've got some good stuff to listen to. I think that if you're new, there's a lot of stuff to catch up on that's pretty great. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I never did before I stopped doing this finish up season one. Uh, I'm finally doing that. We're finally doing TS-19, the finale. Um, and wow. Um, I have a lot to say about this episode. Let's go ahead and just get right into it. So first of all, in a number of ways, and I didn't really expect this, I mean, I, I, one thing I do know I've been talking about throughout covering the first season is how it has, the show has changed since the first season uh, up until, oh God, what are we on now? Season fucking 10. Okay, something else that I should just let you know is that I am uh, significantly more frustrated with this show than I was uh, when I, I think I last recorded one of these. Uh, I, I actually have essentially stopped watching because I am so frustrated. If you would like me to do an episode where I just lay out all of my frustrations with the show and all of the reasons why right now I'm not watching, and in fact, I don't anticipate starting to watch again with the new season, I will probably wait and see how it goes and see what people say. I'm not hopeful, given what I know about what's gonna happen, but you never know. Maybe all the problems that made me stop watching in season nine will uh, have resolved. Is in, through some magical fashion. Not anticipating that, but you know, anything's possible. Stranger things have occurred. But yeah, I'm, I'm coming back to this show in its first season from the perspective of somebody who is extremely frustrated with what it has become. And like I said, oh, hello, we're being visited by a plane. Don't know if you can hear it. Oh, that's a loud plane. Um, I, I, I have noticed something going through the first season. It's become really, really clear to me. Just Jesus Christ, that might be a helicopter. No, you know what? That's not either of those things. That is actually somebody going by with a, a lawnmower. Um, there are a lot of planes go by low overhead, so sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Anyway, that you didn't need to hear any of that. I may or may not edit that out. I, there, there is such a marked difference between the first season and what's happening now. And I think some of that is because, well, some of that is just going to be because when something starts and when it goes for 10 seasons, it's going to change. That's not a bad thing. It has to change. It shouldn't continue to be the same exact show that it was 10 years ago. Uh, oh God, a decade of a show. I'm sorry. Again, it's just, man. Um, it, it shouldn't stay the same. And also, and I think maybe in some ways this is even a bigger factor, uh, it has had a number of showrunners since then, and Frank Darabont is a particular kind of artist, and he has a very particular feel 
to the stuff that he does, which you will know if you've seen stuff like The Shawshank Redemption and uh, The Green Mile and The Mist. Uh, I'm a big fan of most of his stuff uh, also. And one of the things that I'm really becoming reacquainted with is that I, I like season one a lot. Uh, in some ways, it's a really uneven season, and there is a lot of stuff that does bug me, which I will get, I've gotten into in the past, and I will get more into in this episode, but there's just so much that works really well. Like, in terms of an establishing season, it's just got a lot going for it. it the, the tone is strong, the characters are introduced in a really uh, arresting and uh, interesting way that makes you, I think, care about them. Um, it's... Wow, geez, that's loud. I'm, so, I'm sorry about that, guys, if it's bugging you. On the other hand, it's kind of ambiance. You feel like you're in the room with me or something, you know? Uh, where was I? Um, it's, it, so, yeah, it introduces the characters in a, in a way that really catches you. Uh, it introduces the world in a way that I think is really efficient. And uh, TS-19 does more of that, which I will talk about again in a minute. Um, and it's also uh, quite short, which in some respects is... is and sometimes that's not a good thing for seasons to be highly compact, but in this way, I think it's almost good that it's kind of like a half season. And that it was meant from the start to be a half season because it is, it's, it's, it's compact, it's tight. There's uh, really no wasted space, uh, at least not to speak of. Uh, there, there are some odd steps to the side, but for the most part, it doesn't feel sprawling and unfocused, which I think some later seasons uh, struggle with, particularly season nine, which is one of the reasons why I think I stopped watching in season nine. Kind of feels flaily now. Season one doesn't feel flaily. It does feel like they kind of knew what they wanted to do when they decided they were gonna do this. And I think having rewatched it, that TS-19 is in fact, um, probably the best episode in the first season. It's an incredibly strong finale. And, excuse me, and also it's uh, it's just a great episode. I think this actually might be one of the best episodes in the show's run. And part of that is because I have a strong bias in favor of Jenner, in favor of the actor who plays Jenner. I really love him. He's a great actor and he's very appealing and he does a really good job. But also I just think it's a really strong episode. Uh, and I'll, I'll, you know, be talking some about this as, as we go through. But let me just kind of go through my notes in order. Um, they're in no real particular order except as I thought of them as I was watching. And uh, they don't really hold together as a single theme. But you know what? This is the rambling dead, so I'm a ramble. Okay, just first of all, like I said, I, this, I love this episode. Love it a lot. However, one of the things that this uh, this also reveals as a weakness, partly because it starts with a flashback to when Shane, everything's falling apart and Shane abandons Rick in the hospital. And I, I've actually, those of you who are listening who are on the Discord that we've got going, you, I was screaming about this yesterday, and we all scream about it periodically. That, it, it really, the, the fact that it begins in that flashback really brings home all over again that realism on this show is bullshit. There's no such thing as realism. The show just kind of does whatever it wants as it is convenient. And that's fine. It's a show about zombies. But it does mean that when things happen, like, for example, Beth maybe being fake killed, and people go, that's not realistic to be shot in the head and to survive. Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's fine. It actually does happen. And uh, secondly, it's claiming that it couldn't happen because it's not realistic is just silly. Okay, so I'm sorry. You're just you're a silly person if you say that. You're just you're just a big silly head. This show isn't realistic. Rick should be so fucking dead. There is no way, no way. It's laughable that he survives that long in a coma without like fluids and he even if he did somehow survive, he would have you know without starving to death, he would have horrible bed sores. There, I mean, there, there's just no way. He would have died. He would have died of thirst. He would have died of starvation. He would have died of massive infection. He just, he would have fucking died. I'm like, okay, guys, like, this is going to really make you cringe because, I mean, it's, it's horrifying. He's had a catheter in his dick for that long, probably. I mean, I'm guessing. You, you know, and it hasn't been switched out. Like, I'm sorry. Just think about that for a second. This is, this is ridiculous. This is laughable. There's no fucking way. Now, I'm willing to go with it because if you give me a premise that is ridiculous and you just kind of say, all right, you know what? This is the premise and this is what we're going with. I'll, I'll be like, okay, ridiculous show. You know what? I'm interested in what you're doing. 
I will ignore the fact that this is in, this is ridiculous and couldn't possibly happen, and we'll just you know what I'll just go with you on this journey into your ridiculous world, and that's cool. Uh, but let's just be clear about that again. This show makes no sense in many ways, and if you're going to be an intelligent viewer of this show, uh, you need to be willing to accept and own the fact that it doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense. That uh, certain things about its very structure. Uh, its foundational elements, its first principles, are impossible. They're literally not possible. And I'm not just talking about zombies, because you know what? That could be possible, who knows? But yeah, so, not realism at all. Uh, so when they first get to the CDC, here's something that actually hit me uh, that hadn't ever hit me before. And I understand why they wrote it this way, but it's still, uh, it's still a little, it's weird. It's a strange turn of phrase. Uh, when Jenner comes out with his gun and, and, you know, he lets them in and he's like, you know, he's getting a sense of who they are and he's all aggressive. Well, not aggressive, but he's very defensive and, and everything, reasonably so. He says, are any of you infected? Now that is a strange thing for, I think, for him to say, because the thing that Jenner knows that in this episode that none of the rest of them know until Jenner actually, you know, tells Rick is that all of them are already infected it would make a lot more sense for Jenner to say, are any of you sick? Are any of you bitten? Are any of you scratched? Uh, for him to say infected, I don't see why he would say that. Now I understand why the writers had, the writers wrote that because the writers were trying to kind of conceal it from the audience to some degree and make it a little bit more of a surprise. But it, yeah, it, he could have still, he could have said, are, are any of you sick or any of you bitten? And it would have, it would have worked the same, I think. Uh, yeah, that was a strange kind of... Again, I've, I've seen this episode many times. It had never stood out to me before. It's not a problem necessarily, because it isn't like a super big false note, but it is a little strange. Uh, I don't think there's any like deep in-show reason for it, like anything beyond the fact that that's just how the writers did it, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little strange. Yeah, it's a little writing oddity. Uh, yeah, and, and I think it's kind of funny that I didn't notice it until now. So, um, yeah, a little, little disjointed there. Uh, jumping way, way ahead to the dinner. This is something that's always given me cringe, honestly. When Daryl says booyah, I mean, it's 10 years since the show was made, but I think even when it was made, like, are, were we still saying booyah at that point? It's a, it's a funny word. I mean, maybe that's kind of the point, but it's also, it, it dates this show in a really ridiculous way, which is fine. You know, it took place at a certain time period, but also, I don't know. I just think that word is, is, is silly. Maybe using that word a lot. Uh, silly, I mean, not booyah. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a cringe moment for me. I can't quite explain why, but yeah, it's... <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, something else that uh, I think is is really obvious, especially coming at this from the perspective of 10 seasons in, is that this episode, I think more than any other, more even than when they leave the camp, this episode begins and establishes the theme of how they can't stay anywhere. Wherever they end up, even if it seems good, it's going to go bad. Now, the show has actually kind of bucked that trend a bit, and over the last couple of seasons, because although the ASC has gotten, um, you know, overrun and blown up and burned down, I think several times at this point, uh, and shouldn't really be standing anymore, um, they haven't left it. They have, the ASC has been hit over and over and over again with all the things that have made them leave before, but they have continued to stay there. Now I'm somewhat torn regarding whether that's actually ended up being a good thing. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, but I think that how the show is being written now, it, which is a way that I think is kind of weak in some really important ways, uh, it, it doesn't do it any favors because I don't think they've handled that stationary element particularly well. Like, I don't think they've handled many things well. Um, but one of the reasons why I think a lot of us were kind of getting impatient prior to when they got to the ASC is that the theme of them never being able to stay anywhere, of you know sooner, sooner or later always running, when it was a theme, and I think it was a conscious theme. I think it was a really, you can see that it was a conscious theme because at the very beginning of the mid-season premiere in season five, they have this whole sequence where they talk about, they kind of show the different places they've been and, and 
the passage of scripture that Gabe is reading is, if I recall correctly, about the uh, transience of earthly dwellings because the kingdom of God is going to be the permanent dwelling and that's what you should be focusing on. Uh, and everything, you know, everything in, in, in the mortal world will pass away and only this will be left eventually. What you can't see is forever and what you see is, is, won't last. So the show, I think, has been aware that that's a theme. The problem with being aware that something is your theme is that it doesn't insulate you from having it be repetitive. You can have something be consciously a theme in your writing and it still will end up becoming boring and repetitive. And I think that on the point at which they got to the ASZ, uh, it had kind of reached that point. I think a lot of us were kind of tired of it. I felt kind of tired of it. I appreciated in that episode, the fact that they were commenting in a very direct way on how that has been a recurring theme throughout the show. But also, it's sort of like how every season they have to fight a new group. Every season there's a big bad sometimes going from one season to the other, like Negan. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's in, during, uh, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, having the big bad every season worked actually. And I think it worked partly because of the sort of monster of the week type structure of that show, even though there also was this big complicated overarching plot that went multiple seasons. But this, this show, I don't think the big bad thing works very well for it. I just don't. And when they try to stray from that a bit, I also don't think that works terribly well. Uh, among Again, if I do the big episode where I explain why I am right now not watching this show anymore and all the problems I have with it, although I've talked about many of them before, the the fact that the, if it feels very much to me like this show doesn't know what it wants to be anymore and actually kind of hasn't for a while, but really right now doesn't really know what it's doing, doesn't know what it wants to commit to. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of part of it. I feel like I'm not phrasing this really well, but I, I felt like that was very it, that was very strong in this in this episode, and I, it also was in some respects I think kind of the beginning of of the problem. Hang on, tea. Oh God, today I'm drinking something called Venetian tiramisu. It literally tastes like Venetian tiramisu. It's fantastic. I love it. So yeah, it's. Oh, example of a show that actually does the transient thing extremely well and does make it a foundation of the plot, the whole point of the show, is Battlestar Galactica, the, the more recent one. I actually haven't watched the first one. I think maybe it's the same there, but the, the, the remake. The whole point of that show is that they've been displaced from their planet and that they have to find someplace new to live and uh, try and reconstitute their species. And of course, they eventually end up finding, spoiler alert, they find Earth and, and you know, there are, there are ancestors, which is, I still can't decide whether or not that was silly. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm using silly a lot. Um, yeah, it's uh, that, they, they did the transience thing very well. Uh, for whatever reason, Walking Dead just doesn't. But it is interesting how they establish it here and especially how fast the turnaround is. Like they're not there for more than like a day. They, they're not there for more than 48 hours. And I think they're there for more like 24. So they barely have time to start thinking that they can actually make this a home before Jenner decide, you know, decides he's going to set the air on fire, about which more in a second. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's cool. It's cool. It had, it had so much potential to be cool. And then I think it just didn't get dealt with very good. I don't know exactly at what point it started to fall down. I think it might have actually been the, be been the beginning of season five with Terminus, uh, uh, which I also have a lot of issues with. I'll talk about that if I ever get as far as season five, which uh, according to the pace I'm going now will be um, a couple years away. <laughs> so uh, it's about the pace at which I'm writing the good stars. I'll get to season five in several years. You know, we'll see if any of us are still here at that point. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting and it's not something that you have to like dig for. It's pretty obvious and on the surface. So, let me talk about Shane. I've talked about Shane before. I have a lot of feelings about Shane. It's, it's interesting to watch Shane's arc from season one to season two. There are a lot of things I like about actually Shane. Like I don't like Shane, he's a terrible person, but as a character, I like him because I think that he is genuinely kind of interesting. Uh, and I think that he's a, he is actually a really good, a good foil for Rick. 
in a lot of respects. And I think his death episode is fucking great. Like it's Shakespearean levels of, of tragic. It's very, very good. Uh, a lot of that is Andy Lincoln. Um, but well, it's both of them. They're both fantastic actors. But but yeah, Shane, my, my issue with Shane in season one, and I know I have, to, I have talked about this before, is it, it kind of falls in line with the overall gender issues in the first season. Uh, which sort of carry over into second and third, but are, I think are much more pronounced in the first season. I can't quite decide where our sympathies are meant to be. And I can't quite decide where the sympathies of the writers are meant to be. And I think that they are uncomfortably on Shane's side. I don't think that they're squarely on Shane's side. I, I think that the writers still don't mean Shane to seem like he's a really good person. But I still think that we're meant to sympathize with Shane in a way that um, I don't think is actually good and I don't feel comfortable doing. And some of that is, I, the difference between the first and second season is that I think the second season comes down much harder and much more clearly on the idea that Shane is a bad person and we shouldn't sympathize with him. Uh, that maybe what he does is understandable. Uh, it's not that he's not a consistent character, and he's also not a cartoon villain for the most part. Uh, but we're, I don't think, the, season two is not on Shane's side. And season one, I feel like, kind of is. And... Some of that is how his sexual assault of Laurie is dealt with. I feel like the, sh the writers don't fully appreciate how horrifying that moment is. And I think some of it is because they don't let Laurie fully appreciate how horrifying that moment is. And I think that, um, God, I'm, again, I'm kind of torn on this. It might actually kind of make sense for Laurie to not brush it off, but be sort of like, all right, you know, this happened, I'm gonna move on. Because A, she has this relationship with Shane where she was kind of thrown together with him out of desperation and she clung to him because she had nothing else. He was like the last thing in her life that was stable from her life before, aside from Carl. And it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a part of her character Although it is a part of her character that I actually don't like terribly much because I think it, it is kind of a stereotypical thing that female characters often have where she's just looking for a protector. She's looking for a male character to provide her with stability. And when Rick is not around to do that, she goes to Shane. And Shane is much more of a traditional, I hate this term because it is a bullshit term, but he is kind of a much more traditional quote unquote alpha male character in the sense of being a dick, uh, an aggressive entitled dick but yeah I, I, the, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with how the sexual assault is written and I can't even fully articulate why but I just don't think it's good and in fact I think you could have written that scene and had that scene be effective without it I don't think maybe that's part of the reason why I'm not comfortable with it like many scenes of sexual assault or rape in media it's not really necessary like it kind of doesn't have to be there, but they throw it in there for pathos and shock value. And it's lazy, you know? So yeah, I'm just, I'm just uncomfortable with it. But it does raise some interesting questions about Shane, which are, are further raised in two in a way that I actually, I really like. And it's one of the questions that I think is actually, whenever I write a good character gone bad, or even a, a bad character going worse in anything, in fic, in, in, in my professional writing slash non-fic writing, um, the, the question of to, to what extent was this person always like this? And a couple, there, there have been a couple of things in recent media that I've written or consumed that where I dug into this question and found it really interesting. The, the first thing is in Dishonored, is in the, my fic for the video game Dishonored, which by the way, like if you're, if you play games, please play Dishonored so you can like Dishonored with me because it's a very quiet fandom because the show came out several years ago, that the, the game came out several years ago, the first and second and third games. And I love it so much and it is so good. And there is a Daryl type character in it and he even looks kind of like Daryl and it's the same kind of relationship with the, uh, his love interest who does die in the first game in some respects. And just, uh, I love it a lot and I'm by myself so so play it and enjoy it with me. It, it, the gameplay's great, the world building's great, it's just all great. And and another thing, I'm, I'm sorry, this became a, me trying to sell you on Dishonored, but the other thing, and this, is, this does connect back to The Walking Dead, the other thing I love about it so much is that because it's over and the studio is not, I mean, they may make more of it, but right now they say they're giving it a rest, it's on hiatus and they have no plans to do more with it, which I'm fine because of what we have is great. They, it can't hurt you. You know, guys, it can't hurt you. It literally 
cannot hurt you. You are a hundred thousand percent safe with this cannon because it's all done. And also the only bad things that happen in it are the bad things that you choose. You can choose a course in the game where everything is fine and nothing is bad and the ending is happy. Or you can choose the darkest fucking ending, which is also kind of great. Uh, so yeah, the only thing that happens in the games that I don't particularly like is, is the, uh, the main character's, uh, playable character's love interest gets fridged um, <laughs> in the very beginning of the first game. Uh, and she isn't totally gone for reasons I won't go into, but uh, yeah, it's so good. But the, the fic that I'm writing, you have two modes that you can really play in, in Dishonored. You can play in low chaos or high chaos. Uh, low chaos gives, it's, it's, it gives you like the good ending because it means you didn't destroy your empire in the process of saving it. You don't just kill everybody. High chaos, which is actually what I prefer, is where you just fucking murder everybody. You're just this nihilistic death god who all you want is revenge. And it's fantastic. Oh, it's so satisfying. But the ending is extremely dark, uh, which again, is great. Um, but I'm writing a fic that proceeds from the high chaos ending and explores what the world uh, and, and what the main character Corvo Atano, what his life is after, is like after he basically ruins his empire and slaughters everybody in the process of saving it and putting his daughter on the throne, which is where she should be because she's the empress's daughter. And I'm I'm exploring in the in the fic was this this guy who did these horrible things in the game in this one version of canon was he always like this? Or was the trauma that happened to him at the beginning of the game the the spark? Like like or or was it ma what made him this way? Because he goes through extensive trauma at the beginning of the game, and it's not just losing his um, girlfriend and the love of his life. Was he always this way? When you do horrible things, do you do them because something in you has changed, or do you do them because the stuff that was the bad shit that was always in you gets brought out? I know I'm talking about stuff that's not not Walking Dead right now, but it's because again this this question that gets asked in writing is fascinating to me. So I'm I'm exploring through having Corvo do increasingly horrendous and criminal and just unforgivable things. Like he basically becomes this serial killer and is a complete psychopath and yeah, uh, for all the fact that that word is problematic because it is. Uh, but but so the, the central question that I ask in that fic is that, and I kind of come down on the side of, uh, yeah, it was always in him. He was always this person. It's just that the uh, stuff that happened to him brought that out. So there's that. And then there's also, I've been watching the second season of Mindhunter, which is so fucking good. Oh my God. Um, the, the two FBI main characters at one point go to interview Charles Manson. And if you know who Charles Manson is, then you know that like he was this cult leader who basically brainwashed a bunch of people into going and committing the LaBianca Tate murders, which were absolutely horrifying, horrifying and terrible. And the one of the questions kind of around his trial and the trial of, of his followers was, and, and that gets dealt with a lot in this scene in this show, is did he make them do what they already wanted to do? Or did he really put stuff into their personalities that had never been there before? To what extent was he actually responsible? Did he make them do these things or did he just establish, an, establish a permission structure that allowed them to do these things? And that's a really interesting question. And I don't know. And the show, I think, really leaves that ambiguous. And, and I think, in fact, kind of indicates that maybe both are true at the same time, which can happen. But yeah, so getting back to this episode and Shane, I think that that's a very interesting question for Shane. Shane goes through trauma too. I mean, all of them do. They're all traumatized. The entire world's been destroyed. So did that make Shane a bad person or was he kind of always that way? Was the potential for him to be this horrifying individual always present or did he change? Would he, in the right circumstances, always have done this? Uh, or, or is this not the person who was Rick's best friend? deep down. Uh, and I don't know. And I don't know if the writers know. I think that if you go purely by season two, Shane, I think, I think that you, it's easier to arrive more on the side of the uh, fall of civil civilization having changed him and hit this not being how he always was. Actually, you know, you could make an argument for the complete opposite of that. But I think in season one, uh, partly because I think the writers' epi uh, writers' uh, sympathies are more with him, 
the implication is more that this is kind of who Shane's always been, which in, in, in a weird way kind of actually makes him a worse person because it doesn't let him off the hook at all uh, in, in some ways. So yeah, that, but that question about, it's one of the reasons why I really think Shane is interesting. It's also one of the reasons why I think the governor is an interesting villain, just to jump ahead. The, the question of, you didn't used to be this way. What made you this way? Were you always like this? So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, my feelings about Shane are so complicated. And I don't actually think that he comes across so strongly in this episode. I just, I, I think that um, the earlier episodes in season one and most of season two is way better for that. I think he's, his, his character is explored in a much more interesting way. He's kind of almost a bit of a sidebar in, in this episode, except for the moment where he sexually assaults Laurie, which is just horrible and really unforgivable. And my feelings about that are, I'm, I'm so ambivalent about that as well. So yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting and important scene, but I don't know. Hmm. Okay, moving on. Okay, so, oh, also alcohol. Another quick sidebar. My theory about alcohol, and I think there are exceptions to this, but my, my kind of general theory is, is that alcohol, because it removes your inhibitions, it reveals who you actually are inside. Like, it's sort of like hypnosis. Like, the shit you do when you're drunk, that uh, you're not doing anything drunk that you wouldn't do anyway, sort of, with, the, with again, the right permission structure. Your inhibitions have been removed. You got the permission structure. The chemist, chemistry is the permission structure. So, yeah, you could say, well, Shane's drunk, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, but the alcohol, I think, is kind of just revealing who Shane is because he's doing bad shit. And, I mean, I've been extraordinarily drunk, and I still don't think at my drunkest I would sexually assault anybody. Like, I just, I don't think that's a thing I would do. I would hope not. But, yes. Yeah, alcohol, not an excuse for Shane. Not in any respect. Okay. The actual TS-19 scene, this, the scene where Jenner shows the video of his wife turning and then him putting her down. I love this scene. I fucking love everything about this scene. I love the way it's shot. I love the music. I love the acting. And again, most of it is because I just adore this actor. Cannot remember his name, but the guy who plays Jenner. It's, it's such a good scene. It establishes so much it's sort of in the way that it does when Amy dies. It establishes so much of just the brutal horror of what this world has become. And it does it in a way that is basically describing something that you barely even see. Because you never see this this character, his wife, you never see her face except when he's looking at the photo of her. You just see her brain and then you see what happens to her brain. But it's so visceral. And how Jenner describes it is so powerful. Uh, I just, I love the scene. I love it. It's a great, great scene. I think it's one of the best scenes in the show's entire run. But there is a problem with it. And it is, and, and I th this is especially something that makes me go, oh, I'm so frustrated, uh, is when Jenner mentions France and how they held out the longest. The, there is so much implied world building on this show that never really gets explored. And when they start to explore it or they try to explore it, it always feels extraordinarily incomplete to me. Now that might start changing with season 10. I don't know if they're gonna go like to, I don't, I don't know what point the Commonwealth is gonna come in. I haven't read the comics up to the point the Commonwealth enters the picture, but it's, I'm intrigued by the idea of it, as tired as I am of, oh look, here's another community. I mean, I don't really know if there's another way to tell this story given what it's about, but uh, yeah, there is so much going on in the rest of the world that we just don't know much about. Now, I know that shows like Fear the Walking Dead do go into this. I have not seen Fear the Walking Dead, uh, partly it's because I'm just kind of not interested, and also it's because I cannot get past how absolutely fucking stupid the title is. Like, I, I know it's, it's it's silly for me to say, there's a word again. I should have like a silly count like they do in some YouTube videos. You can't really do that visually. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just... And the title is silly. It's silly for me to say that, that the title is a deal breaker of something, but you know what kind of in this case is. I saw the title when it was first announced and I was like, nope, not going there with you. Sorry, I'm not, not going on this journey that you're uh, inviting me to go on because uh, your title's too silly. Too silly. Stop that. Too silly. 
uh, but yeah, I'm, I, I know that that show does go into it a bit, and that the uh, third show coming up... Oh God, when will this franchise die? Uh, the third show coming up will go into that even more, but the, the problem is they imply so much stuff, and they never really go into it in a way that I wouldn't like. And some of that is, I think, constraints about filming and budget. But it's also just like, I want to know what happened in fucking France. Is anybody still alive in France? Probably. Because clearly this didn't wipe out 100% of the population. Uh, it barely, I think, actually wiped out half. Um, just because people are really... Sp- I mean, there's 300 million people in the U.S., you guys. Uh, they're, they're not all dead. And in fact, there are enough of them packed together in a relatively small space that there's probably... Oh, there's... I mean, there's probably at least a million people still alive in the States. At least. So what's going on with Europe? You know, what's going on with Canada? What's going on? I want to know. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's there. And eh. I, I know this is nitpicky, but I, I, have, I have feelings about it. And those feelings have only increased as the show has gone on. But yeah, the, the other thing, the other thing that gets established here that is an interesting thing that I also sort of support them abandoning because it's kind of beside the point and also it's not really scientifically explicable so it's probably best to just hand wave it and not touch it is the the idea of this being a a a body of some kind in our bloodstream like a a virus a bacteria, probably not bacteria, fungus, probably not that either. Uh, anyway, Last of Us did that and did that fantastically well. It's, it's, it's a virus of some kind, but it never, like, there's no way to, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think there's any way you could make this work without having, like, every virologist and epidemiologist just completely throw themselves off a bridge. So, yeah. But the what it implies, this what this one episode, this one single episode over all other episodes does establish and imply are the scientific and medical aspects of this world. And I am interested in them, even though I know that that's probably a road you don't want to go down. And it, it's, it's one of the things that's kind of made me frustrated about some people in our fandom who have been like, there's going to be a cure. Beth is the cure. No, she's not probably, even if she's not dead. This is me just throwing my whole crazy opinion into this. Sorry. But, um, and it's just my opinion and for whatever that's worth, which is not a tremendous amount. But this show in this episode both establishes there this virus probably, I don't know, giant shrug, and also that they are not going to look at that anymore. They're touching on it this once just to let you know that everybody's infected, quote-unquote, and then they're never going there again. There will never be a cure. They're not interested in that. They're just not. Now, that's not to say, given the stuff that the writers are doing now, that I don't think makes a tremendous amount of sense, it's not to say they might suddenly veer sharply in that direction. I don't know. I can't predict what these writers will do anymore. I thought I could. I can't. Because they keep doing things that I don't understand. But, uh, yeah, it gets touched on and then they never touch it again. And it's, it's, it's sort of like, what's going on in France? It's a little frustrating to me, and, and I can't even quite articulate why. But it's another thing that I think makes season one feel so different from all the other seasons. Uh, and, and something, partly I think because I just love this episode a lot, but it also has to do, I think, with Frank Darabont leaving and uh, Greg Mazzara. No, it's not Greg, it's Glenn, right? Yeah. Uh, gee, name. I get them. I'm not getting him confused with Greg Nicotero. I just can't remember which it is. I think I don't think there's two Gregs. I think it's Glenn. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling again. But again, this is what you signed on for. So um, anyway, when he takes over in the next season, the, the, you know, it feels different because he had a very different style. But I miss this show. Like, I miss season... I miss the show it was in season one. And it's another thing where I can't quite explain why, but it just... It feels better to me. For all my problems with it, and I have many. Again, a lot of them having to do with gender. I just have huge problems with the first season. But there is something about how it feels that I miss. And it might also just be because, again, I am tremendously frustrated with how the show feels now. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good to me. It's not a happy place for me. And I'm not going to stick around somewhere that's not a happy place. But I miss how this show felt. Uh, We'll see how I feel when I get to season two, assuming I can keep this going after this episode, which I intend to do. But I miss this show. 
I miss the show that this was. I miss what it was in season one. There's so many things about it, and in particular this episode, that I just like. It's a world I want to inhabit. You know what? Maybe I just like Jenner. Yeah, that might be what it's about. Maybe I just wish this show had just spun off and it had been all about Jenner doing science and not turning the uh, air to fire, which I think was a questionable decision on balance. But, uh, yeah. Um, some, uh, something else. Uh, let, me, let me get off this topic because I've been going on about it for a while and you're probably all bored. Another theme that gets established here that I think comes back over and over again, uh, implicitly and explicitly, is what Jenner says about how we always think we're going to have more time and then it runs out. And, God, this is something else that I like when it gets introduced here. I think it's a powerful idea that when you're with somebody, when you care about them, um, whether or not it's romantic, that, you know, you just don't know how much time you have, which is true now. You know, you don't need a world to end for that to be the case. But it's so poignantly the case in, in a world where anybody could die anytime. That should be powerful. But then the show takes that theme and puts it into practice by just slaughtering characters left and right without much consideration in many in many, in many cases uh, regarding whether or not that's the right thing for the show to be doing. And, I mean, it's... I'll, you know what? If... I'm, I'm, I've got to leave some stuff for this other... You know what? I don't care if actually if, if any of you uh, actually want this or not. I think I will do a giant episode where I talk about why... It's just a giant bitching episode where I talk about why I'm not watching this show anymore. Why I'm very, very frustrated with it. Uh, again, some of which I've already talked about uh, in other episodes. But uh, it's... Yeah. It's the, the whole killing the cast is they they kind of trap themselves into it because the cast is so big and they keep bringing in new characters and they have locked themselves into the canon of the comics which i think is a terrible idea but they've done it for better or for worse mostly for worse but uh they it the 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 tension of never knowing how much time you're going to have with somebody is actually undercut by making good on that threat too much so I love that I love the that theme being introduced here. I think it's a powerful idea, but I hate what they've done with it. But it's, again, it's, it's another thing that, that gets it's brought in in this episode and makes the episode really strong. Uh, that, that really turns around in a weird way later. But yeah, and also you know what? Just going back to Jenner. Love how he delivers that line. It's a great line. Delivers it really well. It's just super solid. Anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so, oh yeah, I have what the fuck happened in France and here in all caps. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I, apparently I felt very strongly about France when I was watching this. Uh, when he says he's going to turn the air to fire, um, and he says it won't hurt, just sidebar, I think that would probably hurt a lot. Like, I, you know, maybe quick, because your lungs would burn super fast and then you'd die, but I kind of think that the air turning to fire would hurt very much for a few seconds and i would not want that that is not what i would like uh i would not like dying at all but and you know it's probably better than getting bitten and turning but yeah it's just you know jenner you're lying when you say it won't hurt and you're a scientist and you should know better so either you're wrong which you, you shouldn't be or you're lying but i think it would probably hurt i think it would suck that'd be over but it would really suck for a few seconds i think Moving on. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, okay, Daryl. Daryl, I, I, this is something else I have talked about, I think, and I talked about it in particular when he met uh, Rick. And, like, when found out what Rick did, when he found out what Rick did to Merle, he attacked, tried to attack him, and there was, you know, like, are you actually going to try and kill him or not? And I think that I decided that no, he wasn't going to, because Daryl... This gets established in the first season, and it is true. It's been consistent with his character throughout the entire thing. Well, you know what? That's actually not true anymore because he's kind of become a cold-blooded killer in a lot of respects. But um, in the first season and moving through a lot of it, his bark when he gets really, really mad is worse than his bite. When he, when he is going to become lethal, when he's really going to fuck you up, uh, he, he doesn't really get mad. He's just kind of cold. But here, when he's, like, picking up the axe and waving it around, he's not going to do anything. Like, he's really mad and freaked out, but, you know, you're not going to hit anybody with an axe, Daryl. Just calm down. 
go, go beat on the door some more because that's clearly what you're actually more comfortable doing. But yeah, it's it's an interesting Daryl moment. Uh, it's it's interesting in terms of establishing who he is in season one. I think I think that one. I also think they kind of didn't know who Daryl was in season one in some ways. Which, uh, but but one thing I think that they did know is that he's just this big shouty. He, not big. He's actually kind of small um, compared to other people. But he's he's just this shouty guy who who yells a lot and waves things around, but doesn't actually want to hurt anybody. He. I mean, my headcanon is because he grew up in a really violent environment what he does in order to try to stave off violence against himself and protect himself is he just yells. He's, he's just, again, he's just this barking dog, but is doing all the barking because he doesn't want to actually have to get to a place where he fights. He doesn't want to do it. So he tries to be as threatening as possible so that he can avoid being in a situation where he has to do it. Now, I don't think that he's thinking about that. I don't think that's a conscious strategy, but I do think it explains why he appears to be so violent and actually is not. It actually is, is kind of a little bit of a muffin. Yeah, precious little muffin. So, uh, no, last last couple things. Rick says, Jenner says, I think it doesn't matter. And then Rick says it does matter. And that's another thing that's kind of a running theme. I can't think of how many characters have said that, but I do think it's been multiple characters. Those of us in this particular fandom that I think we're all in, all of you who are likely to be listening to this, of course, identify that most strongly with Beth because it's kind of, it's not just what she says to, to Daryl, but it is kind of like one of the big foundational elements of her character. But it also is, to what extent do things matter is kind of a question that this show is asking a lot. And it's another establishing moment. And I think it's interesting that Rick says it. And then it's interesting that Beth says it later on. Now, I don't think that necessarily the writers were consciously doing that. But there's, this is me going into conspiracy theorist mode again. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But uh, play with me in this space for a minute. Uh, those of us who draw a connection between Rick and Beth, and I don't think that's entirely illegitimate, although I think it is to s- sometimes a bit overblown. Uh, that's an interesting point of connection. It may or may not be co- conscious on the part of the writers. I sort of think not. But it is, yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's just the the really intense insistence that, you know, things still matter. They still matter. And that is why you don't just lie down and die. That's why you don't just give up. Even when even when the, the rational thing might be to say that things don't matter, they do. We can't afford nihilism. We just can't. We can't afford nihilism is a is is one of the biggest running themes in the show, um, which I again feel highly ambivalent about, mostly because of what's happened in what happened in season nine and what it seems like is going to be happening in ten. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of cool that he says that. So that's I mean that's actually okay. That's actually like the last big thing on my list. So just yeah, just to bring this back around, I think this is an incredibly strong finale. Uh, geez, they're just doing nothing but mowing their very big lawn today. Um, I think it's a really strong finale. I think it's a really strong episode. And I think that it closes out the show in a way that works really well. Uh, I do think the very ending is a bit abrupt. Like, it explodes and okay, um, bye. Okay. Uh, I think I think that it would have, just from the perspective of flow in, in writing, it would have been good to have like kind of one final scene. Maybe actually the... Okay, so, so the scene with Rick and the walkie-talkie at the beginning of season two is in part a last time on the Walking Dead scene. It's like to remind you of everything that happened before because Rick narrates everything that happened in season one to Morgan through the walkie. But uh, I, I think that actually that might in some ways have... Having some scene with Rick and the walkie-talkie as they're leaving Atlanta... Um, well, they're already kind of leaving Atlanta, but uh, or in season two, I think. Actually, it's been a really long time since I saw that, saw that episode what lies ahead. But uh, yeah, I think that it would have been good to have one more scene at the very end of this just to close it out. It is a bit abrupt. But overall, it's just a really strong episode. And like I said before, I just kind of miss what this show used to be. I miss what it used to be in season two and three and, and especially four and actually in five in some ways also. But uh, yeah, there's just so much about this season that I really like. I mean, I clearly liked it because I moved on to season two, or at least I clearly didn't hate it. And then I liked what I saw in season two enough to go on to three. But yeah, I, I, I miss how this felt. I just, there's a, there's, 
and I think that's always that, that's actually usually going to be the case with things that go for a long time. There's something about the, and I, I, I especially feel that way about things I've written that have gone on for a long time. Howl is a, is a great example of that. Uh, Howl has gone for so long. It's almost 500,000 words now, I think. It's well over 400,000. There is something about the lean freshness in the, of, of a beginning that is uh, really good. It's, it's really, it's not comfortable, but it just, it feels good. You're not carrying the weight of an enormous narrative on your back, which they really are at this point. And uh, anything, writing anything long, trying to write something that's been going forever, you are carrying this weight of everything that has happened and everything that you have to remember and ever, all the loose ends that you've spun out that you have to try and weave back in if it seems like it would if it seems like it'll work to do it and when you're writing something serially and you have no ending plan you're spinning out loose threads left and right because you want to give yourself some place to go you want to give yourself something to use later on but also trying to remember all the threads you've spun out and then reincorporate them is another thing that's incredibly hard and very tiring and, and extremely intimidating. It's one of the reasons why I'm not writing hell very fast anymore. It's just a lot of work. Churning out individual chapters is extremely tiring for me. It's just a lot. And the fact that I have no idea where it's going to actually end uh, is also a bit of a problem. But uh, yeah, any, anyway, there, there, is, there is a new freshness uh, in the first season that I miss a lot and uh, sort of wish was still there. But there's no way to get that back. Uh, even if the show was great right now, there would be no way to get that back. It's been going for too long and too many things have happened. So yeah, that brings us to the end of season one. Uh, I'm not sure when I'll be able to... I have so many projects going right now. I just started... I, I was already writing another book and I just started a novella because I'm out of my mind and I'm doing a bunch of other things too. But I, I really want to keep this going, so I'll try to do. I'll try to start season two sometime in the next couple of weeks. I would love to get back to a bi-monthly schedule for this podcast, which is actually doable if I just get my ass in gear. But yeah, I, I hope that soon we will dive into season two, which I'm actually really looking forward to. Um, I just, you know, finished writing season two in The Good Stars, so I am coming to it with a kind of a different perspective than I have before. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, I'm going to stop rambling now and close this out. Uh, thanks so much for listening, um, if you listened to all this nonsense. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this sh uh, show so far. I, I don't even know how long I've been keeping it going at this point. It's been like three years, I think. It's been going for a really long time. A lot of that has been dead space, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been going. I'm still doing it. So, yeah, thank you. I want to thank my guest, The Lawnmower. Uh, my special guests uh, appreciate uh, their input also periodically as they roll by and yeah uh, i'll you know what I'll, I'll talk to you when i talk to you and i really hope that it will be soon bye